Hello, I'm Jeff Bird, the producer of the More Than A Shop podcast. This series was recorded before the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. We felt it would seem odd to release further episodes without acknowledging what's happening in the world and considered delaying or adapting the series. In the end, we decided that this is perhaps the perfect time to consider new ways of doing things, as we all imagine a different future. More Than A Shop covers some of the big topics of the day, before coronavirus came into our lives, but there are issues and topics that aren't going anywhere. We hope More Than A Shop provides some light and inspiration in these difficult times. With that in mind, here's our latest episode. Please enjoy and share. Hello and welcome to More Than A Shop, hosted by me, Elizabeth Holker. We're welcoming guests with something new and radical to say about the big issues of the day. Well, the flavour of the series is a search for new alternative ideas in the spirit of the worldwide cooperative movement, which happens to have started in my hometown of Rochdale. Well, co-ops proudly offer radical alternatives to mainstream ways of getting things done. They are indeed so much more than a shop. Well, today we're looking at the future of the high streets, which for so long formed the hub of many towns and cities, but which, of course, has been in serious trouble thanks to fierce competition from internet shopping. Joining me here, we have two expert guests. If you'd like to introduce yourselves, please, ladies. Good morning. My name's Debbie Robinson. I'm the Chief Executive for Central England Co-op. It's a truly cooperative co-op and one of the largest independents in the country. We provide worthwhile employment to 8,000 colleagues in 16 counties across England. Good morning, I'm Rianne Thomas and I have the honour of leading the Shopper Insight team at IGD. IGD is a, a body that exists for the good of the food and grocery industry around the world and I have the privilege of talking to British food and grocery shoppers every single day about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Fantastic. Thank you both very much and thank you for joining us. Uh, so Debbie, to start with you, what does being CEO of Central England Cooperative entail? How close are you to the shop floor and hands-on with what's going on in, in stores? So I've got a, green, a dream job because I love shopping um, and I love shops. I love colleagues um, in stores. So I probably spend two or three days a week. Admittedly, a lot of that's at the weekend. Shopping! shopping. <laughs> um, and I get paid. That's absolutely fantastic. But one of the real important things for me is just looking at the opportunities where um, the co-op can actually add a real difference. So we put a lot of emphasis on uh, new initiatives. So in our later stores, we've, um, I, I say, obviously got water uh, refilling uh, opportunities, but we've done that in a really neat way, which is using the drainage as part of the refrigeration. So it's really cost effective. But we've got cycle repair stations and free air. So free air and free water. Um, and really the greatest toilets. So we've put a lot of emphasis in looking at public facilities. And I think some of the challenges on our high streets has been the things we've taken for granted in the past just aren't there anymore. So in all of our new stalls and refitted stalls, we've got great toilet facilities. And in some of the medium and larger community stalls, we've got baby feeding facilities, as well as obviously baby changing facilities in all of them. We see the pubs have closed and we're really trying to create the hub of the community. So public toilets, that's something that customer, you, you found customers were 
were wanting, there was a need for it. There was Well, definitely, me included. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I remember shopping with small children and actually you have to plan your entire journey around, well, let's make sure um, we can take care of everyone's needs. And I shop now with my mum and that's another big consideration. We go before we start the shop, but we actually do. It influences the choices that we're making. And of course, the Internet of Things hasn't yet found a solution to that. So we're really thinking about what are the human needs um, and how we can then start to recreate community, possibly in a different way than it's been done in the past. And the high street just stops looking after those things then? Absolutely. And I think it is down to um, the essential services. And and almost we are a fourth emergency service because we're providing the essentials of food and drink in the communities in which we serve. But there's so much more that we need to do and toilet facilities are just part of it. We're also working um, at looking at community space and cafes in our stores. And we're about to launch that in one of our stores in Littleover near Derby really soon. And uh, Rhianne, are you recognising a lot of this as an analyst? your focus is the consumer as well isn't it yeah absolutely so my focus and my team's focus is understanding what shoppers are doing and why and I guess why and how the industry can best suit their needs and meet their needs so it's really interesting to hear Debbie talk about that I think the initial thing that kind of came to mind there was um, how people use these spaces differently now so you mentioned some seating areas so how many people do we see in these environments working actually choosing to use stores spaces in that way and things like toilet facilities wi-fi facilities are actually really important to enable things like that for people to use the new kind of third space if you like when you say working you mean out of the office actually on their laptops working Uh, in in shops as a researcher for igd i can attest that a lot of us spend a lot of time working in shops oh wow because you know we're out and about talking to shoppers visiting new concepts we need places to work on the go and we have our favourite go-to stores for just that because it's where it works for us. So obviously you've both been looking at the challenges and opportunities uh, facing the high street right now. What is the biggest challenge? What's the thing that's most pressing? Yeah, I guess from my perspective, um, looking at what shoppers are doing, I guess the biggest challenge for the high street is the is for the shoppers' side also and the benefits from a shopper side is the plethora of choice and environments that they can visit to complete their food and grocery shopping means getting shopper loyalty is really difficult because, you know, our data suggests that um, shoppers are making 24 trips a month when it comes to food and grocery shopping. And that's before you even get into things like having a coffee to go, etc. So, you know, that means that they are doing multiple missions at different times of day in different environments. And while they will often have preferences of where they go, they will often uh, make choices on quite practical levels. Where am I? What am I near? Where am I going? And from a retailer's point of view, that means getting true shopper loyalty can be quite tricky. So that's to do with geography, just basically how close things are to each other. Physicality is a massive factor, but also I think just how people are living their lives now. So when they want to be in these stores, you know, I want to do my shopping at 7 a.m., at home on my sofa using an iPad or I want to need to do it in 10 minutes in my lunch break. There are such diverse shopper needs and actually shoppers' expectations are very high now. Yeah, I was going to say, is have our expectations changed? So Absolutely. we'd be able to, you know, we expect to be able to get everything at our fingertips. Yeah, and... I mean, all of us carry around that mobile device that enables us to find out where everything is, how much it's going to cost and when I can get it. So, you know, the expectations have been materially shifted. But on the contrary, shops have been historically kind of focused maybe on 
one product or specialising in one area. Yeah, and, and we still, at IGD, um, we absolutely believe physical stores are core to food and grocery industry. So 97% of British shoppers visit a large format store a month and 92% visit a convenience store. So there is nothing to suggest that these physical stores do not have an incredibly vital role to play in the food and grocery market. It's just a sense of how they use them differently and what they expect from them. Okay. And Debbie, as someone who's shopping three, four times a week, (laughs) uh, do you recognise this? You know, have your expectations changed as well? Oh, absolutely. They have. Um, I think the real barriers and challenges that we have on the high street, business rates is really fundamental. So around our stores, we see great entrepreneurial thinking and lovely cafes that are being set up and, and bakers. And they're there for three to six months and they just simply can't afford to continue. And that isn't because the consumer doesn't want it. It's because there are so many barriers to actually entering the the, the high street. Um, I think parking's a real factor. So now edge of town and out of town you've got free parking certainly at the centre of the thinking in Central England Co-op is about a a 15 minute livable community and it's having everything accessible um, that you you need and as well as the water and the bicycle repair stuff that we're talking about we have introduced uh, seating areas inside outside we plant a tree as an intrinsic part of creating that community spirit we've done work and are looking at where spaces around our stores can be used to grow vegetables that become accessible to the community so it truly is a hub and a place where people actually want to go but I do think we need some government intervention to help remove some of the barriers that are are really making it difficult to thrive on the high street. And what is the scale of this problem I mean and how hard are people working to address how much it's changed in a short amount of time? I think uh, as IGD we are are enthused by some of the initiatives that we see in the industry so responding as Debbie mentioned then responding to different expectations and delivering for shoppers in that way so you know um, making it easier for them to pay in efficient and effective ways making it easy for them to pre-order or to check what's in store making it easy for them to know what's contained within their products we see lots of initiatives in the UK and globally that we see as encouraging as responding to those shopper expectations the challenge for everyone in the industry is keeping up with those shoppers because they won't stand still. Okay, well, you've talked a little bit about um, how we can remain relevant and appeal to customers and consumers. Is the narrative important, you know, how you present yourselves, if people can buy into the story behind uh, your business or what you're selling or offering to consumers? Is that a big part of it? I think the story is really important, but the delivery is more important. So you can have the story, but I think you have to bring tangible benefits as well so you know the so what you know why why would I want to go there I think that's really important of course the co-op has a massive backstory which which people love but you still have to be relevant in that moment and deliver to the consumer what they're actually looking for so a lot of the work that we do is looking at smaller local suppliers that we're able to work really closely with and they're brilliant at showcasing their products in our stores giving sampling opportunities so people will go in and have some excitement around that and that's creating the uh, window for small producers to tell their particular story and I think there's a halo effect for both co-ops and for uh, independent entrepreneurs in that sense. And it's something that consumers care about as well, that ethos, those values. Oh they they really do Um, and I know there are uh, challenges, there are challenges around uh, price but of course price is only relevant if you're giving the consumer what they actually want 
because you think, I want that. Can I afford it? You don't think, how much money have I got? What am I going to spend it on when it comes to food and and, and drink? And I think that's uh, really important. And actually just having something new and different and exciting um, that actually does reflect them as a person and the community in which they, they live. So there are wonderful nuances between our towns, cities and villages. And we should actually be celebrating that. So for us in, in our counties, the brewing industry is really important. So our community cafe will actually be licensed for on-trade. So it's a supermarket where you can have a craft ale, you can have a cheeky cocktail at the right time. It's not like. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Because um, we do recognise that so many And then people spaces, will spend all their money, won't they? That's so well, <laughs> and they'll spend time with us. And I, I think that's really um, important. Yeah. So and some, it's a social aspect, a big part of it as well, I guess, you know, that people go out not just to shop but maybe to see people that they know and communicate and socialize and well we talk about social isolation which obviously is it's a problem and it's a problem for so many people for older people who find themselves on their own but for younger people who just actually don't have the skills to go out so we're really trying to say let's not take the shopping to them let's get them to come to us and even if it means we give provide an assisted shop um, but I think the multi-generational benefits are really important too. And we do a lot of work with our members. So we've 250,000 active cooperative members in our society. And we do an awful lot of work where playgroup presents to the uh, care home. So, and they're rehearsing and it's absolutely wonderful. And of course, you then see the older people who are desperate to share their stories of their lives. And young people just lap it up. I think it's just so important that we don't um, lose that. So the traditionalists, um, as they're classified, are now around 10%, but they'll be 3% by 2030. So how do we just make sure that we've got everything? They're the people that have lived through world wars. How do we capture all of that um, information and knowledge? Okay, and Rihanna, is this something, you know, speaking to consumers, do you feel they buying into this kind of narrative that that's important for them as well yeah it's actually one of the trends that we're keeping a really close eye on so we articulate it as being more um, looking to optimize their time so there's absolutely a need to deliver the core needs when it comes to shopping i want to have what i need when i need it at a price that i can afford however i also am interested in investing my time in things where there is something in it for me so it might be enjoyment so Debbie's cocktails. I'm quite excited to visit. Been that my store myself. Uh, I, could, you know, that's the place I want to be. I want to spend a bit of time because you've hopefully made the rest of my journey as easy and straightforward as possible. Therefore, now I've got this little bit of time and I'm going to do something nice with it. And we see other retailers, not just in food and grocery, but doing just that, giving experiences in store and reasons for shoppers to invest their very precious time. Well, one way to ensure your high street has thriving shops rather than boarded up windows is to open shops yourselves, or at least as part of a community effort. The Headingley Development Trust in Leeds has done just that, and our producer Jeff Bird went along to find out more. My name's Helen Seymour and I'm chair of Headingley Development Trust, a resident-led, community-owned community benefit society dedicated to the regeneration of Headingley. We're in the nice warm headquarters here, which is a lovely building. There's a very busy cafe, but today we're here to talk about the high street. Yes, we're a very strange area. Headingley is a very ancient village, but it's also an area that is very much dominated by students and a transient population. And so more takeouts, more 
pubs, more cafes. But essentially our role has been to regenerate Headingley, mainly for the resident population. Okay, let's go and take a trip down the high street. So there are some things that are very particular to to Headingley, but presumably there are general issues that face high streets up and down the country as well. Absolutely, absolutely. We have big retailers moving in, and so it means that small shops really can't survive. So what's the alternative that you've proposed and, and that you've seen grow over the last few years? Well, we started with setting up the farmer's market, which is monthly, and that happens on North Lane, which we're just coming into now. And it's a mixed group of landlords on North Lane, but in general, they want to see this part of Headingley thrive, and they offer us fair rents. How does a cooperative model come into play here? Well, after we set up the farmer's market, we were approached by the owners of the natural food store. They said to us, you know, we want to retire, but we don't want the shop to disappear. So we had a community share issue and we set up a cooperative of those members who'd invested in the natural food store. And now, 12 years on, that's still going strong. That is a community-owned cooperative, owned by those members. We have full-time staff, we provide five jobs, and it's a thriving business. The share option, the community share option, it's, it's rather like a crowdfunder, but the difference is... As well as raising capital, you also... We own it. Own it, and you have yes. a, stake in make, a stake in it and make decisions. Absolutely. Now, the natural food store was set up with a small loan from Headingley Development Trust, and so it's very much a sister shop to our main shop, which is the Headingley Greengrocer. And my colleague Richard will talk about it in more detail. Can we talk about it inside, because it's freezing? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's even freezing there as well. <laughs> So, Richard, tell me, yeah. tell me who you are then exactly. OK, I'm Richard Norton. I'm one of the directors of the Haddingley Greengrosser. How long has it been running? We've been running this business since last April, but there has been a greengrocer on this site, we think, for 100 years. But the difference here is that it's a community-owned Absolutely. greengrocers. Yep, it's wholly owned by the Development Trust, but the Development Trust has over 1,200 members, of whom around 400 have invested in community shares on, through two different share, share offers. So it's, it's kind of complicated, but the, essentially... Essentially, it is a community-owned It's business. a community-owned business, That's and right. the people around here have a stake in it. Yes. It is a very interesting area. It's not particularly mm. impoverished, no. but it has got this large student population. And given its particularity, I'm just wondering how, how far this kind of model could spread. Do you think this is something that we need across the country to reclaim the high street? I, I think it's absolutely a key, you know, key option, if you like. It's not going to work everywhere. We've very much taken the approach at, from the start that you know, we would do things our way and do it for ourselves, if you like. I mean, we're still subject to all those things like, you know, business rates and, and all the rest of it. I suppose you could say it's a different way of funding um, independent retail activity. Can I bring you in as well, yeah. Helen? Um, how hard has it been over the last is it 12 years? 
I think sometimes it's lack of opportunities. I mean, it's hard work, that's the other thing. But it's really interesting and it's a lot of fun. And it's rewarding. And it's incredibly yeah. satisfying. We, when the farmer's market's on, on a Saturday, it's a very good um, vehicle, if you like, for making things happen. So people get chatting and say, wouldn't it be great if we did such and such? And then things happen. Brilliant. Well, the thing that's going to happen now is I'm going to buy some veg. Good. For tea. So <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Uh, that was Jeff Bird on the high streets in Headingley. So, Rianne, we were talking about scale earlier. Can that kind of model that we just heard in Jeff's report, can it be upscaled? Can it be built on significantly? I think in terms of what we are seeing uh, is other reasons for shoppers to come back to high streets. So um, that was a really interesting example. What we've seen a lot of recently is different space on high streets be used for d- in different ways. So um, the market hall phenomenon or food hall phenomenon that we're seeing definitely in London, uh, but we're also seeing it in other places. So recent examples we'd see outside of London uh, would be in Altrigham, where they have reused some previously empty space to create a food hall. So it gives uh, shoppers and residents another reason to visit the high street and engage with, with smaller, often, food businesses. And this is responding to consumers' expectations again for, you know, an array of choice. and Absolutely. So I think um, our food, our cuisines uh, are definitely being influenced by what we see from around the world. But also just people's palates are changing and they're increasingly interested in experimenting when it comes to food. Uh, and we see that influencing coming through from street food, but we also see it coming through in ranges within large-scale retailers and in places like food halls. Okay, and Debbie, I mean, that sort of model as well, these kinds of interventions, can they just help kind of raise the spirit of the high street as well and change the way people feel about it? Oh, definitely, because, of course, it's the people that actually live there that are taking up these spaces because they're relatively cheap. And it also gives them just a chance to try something. So it's a real low-cost entry model. And I think on that broader question of scalability, we do have Cooperatives UK that binds us together um, as cooperatives where they just offer great financial advice, training and education and just how to set up a business. And they really can be um, the deal-breaker between a business being successful and just really pointing out the the pitfalls. So there's a lot of support for people um, out there. But the really important things is that the people in that community have an opportunity to share their skills and experience, producing fabulous food products. But craft products, I think, is important as well. And um, it really disappoints me when people have a challenge around charity shops. I mean, they're just ace. Um, it's the ultimate recycling um, model. Um, it when you say a challenge around charity shops, what, what exactly some people do you don't mean? like the fact that the high street has more charity shops perhaps than they did right. in the past. Okay. Um, that, that's certainly what I pick up from people say, oh, it's just full of charity shops, right. where actually now the charity shops are opening on a Sunday and it's almost a specialist shop. The quality of the retailing has improved um, dramatically. Um, They are really looking at upscaling the products. So it's a different economy um, altogether. And I think it's something that we should embrace and forget perhaps some past prejudices. And you can go there and get all kinds of things, a record, a jumper, an ornament, a book. book. 
absolutely you can all under one roof you can enjoy you can enjoy yourself and actually the products have got a story which we know is really important to people so I think they're actually bringing something exciting to the high street value for money Um, as well totally value for, uh, for, for money and I think it's the same with food I think our relationship with food is perhaps just more about the quality and little and often and the real experience and We've developed a scheme in uh, Central England Co-op with Fair Share. So our waste food, ours is collected by Fair Share, but then we've worked with all of the recipients. So rather than just say, this is what we've got, this is what you can have, we've actually worked with playgroups, we've worked with after-school clubs, and we've worked with people that are in rehab and understand what products do you actually want? So we separate it and they receive it within 24 hours. And what we're trying to do, again, food banks are just a reality of life today, unfortunately. So what Fair Share does, and the reason that we're doing a lot of work with them, is it gives dignity to the people that are actually receiving. So you don't go with a letter and your hood up and hope you don't get recognised while somebody offers you the food that they think you might want. It's actually about the community really working together. And that thing about narrative as well, people just care more about where their food came from, the story behind it, as you say, where it might go, if it's if you know it's they've got too much or it's going to be wasted. Why do people care about the backstory more now? I think from my perspective, it's fun that we are more aware. So I think it's harder to not care. Which is a good thing, Which is, I think, a good thing, yeah. I think it's really interesting to see in our research, we see spikes in data, and you can absolutely correlate them with things that are happening in the wider world and what's being published in the media. So, for example, when the Blue Planet programme was on, we saw a real surge in interest in trying to reduce plastics. And I think we are probably, just as a society, more aware of the impact of where your food comes from, how it's produced, and what happens to it and the remaining parts of it afterwards. Which you would think would, so in some way, back onto the high street, because it's more local, isn't it? So you've got more chance of knowing where the food products came from and perhaps they were locally sourced I think and so. farmed. I think, and... Yeah, I think the, cha- the challenge still for shoppers is understanding the impact they can have. So I think a lot of people think, um, I can't necessarily influence these things. So what can I do as an individual, an individual level, to make a positive change? And I think that's where um, definitely the industry is working at the moment to try and help shoppers see that actually small changes you can make can have a positive impact. Because it feels like, for a lot of people, such a massive issue. And how can you, as one person do something about that well if we all do something then we can and I think that's really positive and the industry has a massive opportunity to to take some incredible strides in that space okay so you've both been asked to come along with a radical idea something that will make a difference to the way we shop Debbie uh, as someone who's always shopping (laughs) let's start with you what is your radical idea So we've shared a lot about making the environment itself really welcoming from a customer's um, perspective. I think that's absolutely crucial. But there's something that's very close to our hearts at Central England Co-op, and it's actually the safety of our colleagues. And each week there is a serious violent incident against a colleague um, in store. So something that we're trying to do is to really raise the awareness, and it's just about respect So each time there is an incident, we write to our MPs, we write to the Home Secretary, and we would be looking for a change in the law 
that really gives the same custodial sentence to violence against shop workers that you get from public service workers. And is this affecting, you know, the number of people who feel safe enough to want to work on the high streets? Is that a problem? It really is a problem because if you go to work and we had a particular incident in a store, it was six o'clock in the morning and it was the cleaner going in. Well, I'm sorry, but working three hours a day, you just do not expect to go into work and have to face um, a violent threat. Um, So we really just have to put an end to it. Um, We've worked with another co-op, East of England co-op, on an ARC system. So we've got devices that people can wear that means that they will automatically be be tracked. Uh, But it really does need a change in the law and a change in our attitude towards shop workers in general. They're brilliant jobs. You can have absolutely amazing careers out of them. And it is a societal thing just about the respect and the decency that we have for people. So we've gone to the extent where we've taken people that have been violent in our stores and we've got uh, an offender rehab programme where actually um, we're supporting them throughout their rehabilitation and actually offering them jobs back in the co-op now some people think it's high risk but actually it is amazing when people are confronted with the consequences of what they have done often for really not a great deal it's just bringing the human touch to it and really making them appreciate so that's something that we um, that we're doing and I think it just helps gel the community because often the community does know the people that go into stores and be violent well, and goes in to leave. Yeah, I mean, does this happen in certain areas more than others? Because I guess there are some places where everybody knows the people who work in the shop and there is that familiarity and relationship and then other places perhaps not so much, but that's maybe something that, that could be built on. It does vary, but unfortunately in the build-up to Christmas, it happens pretty much everywhere. So people that are quite desperate to fix their own personal circumstances just don't consider the consequences of the impact of their behaviour on others. And so how does the process take shape? You know, are these people offered rehabilitation? How do you encourage them, I guess, to take part in the programme? So we work directly with the police services and we explain that we are offering this as an option. But of course, it's still voluntary if people wish to take it up. And we've been quite surprised at the the number of people that are really genuinely looking for a solution to the problem that they find themselves in. So I don't believe that anybody gets up in the morning and thinks, what can I do bad in the world today? (laughs) Or certainly very, very few, um, at least. It's just about understanding what was the motive and intent in the first place and is there anything we can do about it? But as a consequence of the programme, the incidents have reduced in the stores where we have been conducting that activity. Okay, which is a very gracious attitude to have, but do all consumers feel like that? Or do they? is there criticism that you are just kind of putting money back to the shoplifters or...? you know giving too much to them or not they're not being punished as much or so they are rehabilitation programs so we have to remember they will be sentenced right and that sentence should be fit for the crime so they should have been dealt with through the um the the usual um processes but our concern primarily is with our colleagues and their safety and this is proving that it's having a beneficial effect on them and that it's working it is yeah so every week this is a massive problem um what's causing it 
Unfortunately, one of the root causes is drug abuse. So people are coming into stores, they're stealing things. So they often take the highest value items. So they'll be looking to steal cigarettes and alcohol. They're then selling them to feed their habit. And Rianne. So uh, I guess from my perspective, um, we spend obviously a lot of time looking at the trends in the food and grocery market and in, in my world, particularly what shoppers are doing. Uh, and I think my radical idea is that um, they aren't actually changing the reasons of what they're doing. What is changing is what they expect. So ultimately, um, most of us go food and grocery shopping, obviously, to buy the items we need. But we do that and we are seeking good value products. We are seeking to use our time efficiently and we are essentially shopping for what we want. We want what we want where we want it. It's really that simple. And I think my radical idea is that that isn't going to change. I think what is going to change is how I expect to be able to access some of these products, um, how they will be delivered to me potentially, and even where I will buy them in the future. I think we are seeing, you know, blurring of lines between different channels but also at IGD we firmly believe that while online is incredibly important physical stores have a massive role to play. Okay how would you recommend that this idea is implemented? Yeah I guess my um, my comes back to um, really understanding your shopper so really getting to the nub of why they're doing what they're doing because it's very easy to look at data and to see patterns etc which is really important but trying to get underneath their motivations as to what they're doing enables from a retailer's perspective potentially competitive edge to really understand their shopper and to deliver their needs and understanding them at um, differing levels so obviously we see general trends in the market but being able to apply those in localities etc as Debbie's talked about gives opportunities for retailers to do quite different initiatives from store to store even or obviously regionally as well. Okay and so you're talking about people's experience Um, do people expect to go and just do more than just shop they want to come away feeling like they've had an experience that was perhaps more than just you know buy it was more than functional it was more than just buying what they needed. I think uh, that is, is really varied so sometimes I just need to be able to get my my lunch my weekly shop and just please make it as easy for me so make sure that what I need is available on the shelf make sure that it's um, competitively priced and make sure that it's easy for me to get it essentially and other times it will be actually I'm looking for inspiration so I want to try a new meal I want to try a different food or have a family with an allergen help me cater for their needs or it might be actually I'm looking to reduce food waste so how can I buy pack sizes of products that uh, suit me and my household structure so it's very different needs and I guess the challenge for retailers and manufacturers is layering over multiple needs from different shoppers but staying close to those shoppers I believe is always always advisable. Okay well how high are the stakes for people who like bricks and mortar shops who people who want to go to the high street how long have we got left how's it looking in reality? We don't predict that there's going to be a significant move away from the physical high street or the, sorry, the physical store when it comes to food and grocery shopping we see a diversification in stores so you have larger format stores changing what they offer you have convenience stores bringing in additional services you have more discount focused stores offering a wider array of products you have specialists entering the market who focus on one particular area or one particular category um, but we see that shoppers will definitely be pick and choosing how they use these channels and will be complementing that with online and I think the important part of online is the role it also plays as a shop window for shoppers. 
Debbie, what do you think? For me, we've just got to make it vibrant and exciting. The greengrocers that would have their wares out on the pavements that just look fantastic. So we sell amazing products that look good, that taste good, that smell good. And I think we've got an awful lot to do there. I think the high street will just continue to evolve. So at the moment, there's sort of these barbers and wet shave bars popping up all over the place. The tattoo artists are having a a real field day. The charity shops are doing um, really well. Some of them will last, some of them will be replaced by other things. But I think it is, we talk about experiential, but there's something about the physical and they are the things that actually we need support in doing so I'd like to see more health services actually on the high street because of course people that have chronic illness they have to go frequently and I think there's a benefit of just bringing all of those physical needs together on the high street would help certainly to bring back some of that wonderful vibrancy but it'll be around in a hundred years time when someone else is having the conversation. Good to hear and uh, the more cocktails in shops the better I think that's an idea I can get behind um okay well that's all for today uh, a big thank you to my guests debbie robinson and rianne thomas to hear future episodes of more than a shop subscribe to the podcast at more than a shop.coop or wherever you get your podcasts more than a shop is a collaboration between cooperatives uk the co-op co-op news the cooperative college and the cooperative heritage trust The series is presented by me, Elizabeth Holker, and it's produced by Jeff Bird on behalf of Spark Lab Productions.